This is an Ion Annapolis bonus podcast. Well, it is April, and that does mean that the Annapolis Spring Sailboat Show is almost here. And for those that missed the memo, the show opens up in Annapolis at City Dock on Friday, April 28th, and runs through Sunday, April 30th. And your tickets and all of the details are available at annapolisboatshows.com. Now, usually we speak to show producers about the boats, the gear, and all the boating highlights. They will have all that for sure, but this year we started to think about the Chesapeake Bay, its importance to us, to our community, and to all the boaters. I mean, without the Chesapeake Bay, there's no real boat show, right? Aside from the boats, accessories, and gear that the Annapolis Boat Shows host every year, the show also does a lot for the bay. Every year and at every show, there are a bunch of Bay advocates on site to educate and inform us all about this great body of water. And for 2023, the Annapolis Spring Sailboat Show will be highlighting, honoring, and celebrating some of those conservation organizations. So, of course, we wanted to chat with them. Have a listen. On the phone with us today is Reed Perry, who is the Director of Government Relations for the Chesapeake Conservancy. And the those that don't know the Chesapeake Conservancy, they do three things, they or four things. They conserve, they innovate, they explore, and they protect. Did I get that right, Reed? That's right. <laughs> Very good. It's 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 a it's a pretty simple mission. Uh probably a little bit simpler than it is to execute the mission, I would imagine. Or so. <laughs> uh, but you know, we all have this common interest uh in protecting the Chesapeake Bay. And I mean it is a natural resource that we have uh that Every one of us, whether we're actually out on the water uh, or like the submarine out in the Severn right now is under the water or whatever it may be, um, we have a vested interest in it. Whether we're going to Sandy Point Park and and swimming and just or just enjoying the breezes off of it and everything else. And I guess one of the questions I get, because you are really on the front lines of this, is mm-hmm. what do you see as the biggest threat to the bay? Yeah, well, thanks for that question. And I think that there are a number of ongoing challenges in the Chesapeake Bay and the watershed. And just to, just to kind of back up. So Chesapeake Conservancy, we're a watershed wide conservation nonprofit, and we kind of think of the Bay from a watershed perspective. And so we are working uh, up in Pennsylvania. We're working in Virginia and Delaware, of course, Maryland, other, other parts of the watershed. And, so that's that's kind of our perspective. And as you said, we approach conservation from a few different angles. We're, we're working to actually protect places throughout the Bay, new parks, wildlife refuges, uh, places for people and nature. Um, we are working to connect people to the resources of the Bay uh, through educational experiences, through um, you know, uh, having access to the Chesapeake Bay. And we also are working to innovate and kind of accelerate the conservation movement through data. And so we have a team of about, uh, geez, 12 or or so geospatial data scientists, including two AI scientists that are working to provide geospatial data and analysis and web-based tools to all the different partners working in the Chesapeake Bay so that we can uh, do conservation and environmental restoration smarter, more efficiently. So that's that's how we approach the the Chesapeake Bay. And when you talk about the the, the key problems, um, you know, from a watershed perspective, um, we've had 
a great deal of land use change over the past 400 years, as long as, um, you know, we've uh, sort of settled here, you know, during colonial times and uh, up until today, there's been tremendous land use change. Um, and that's had a big impact on the, the health of our rivers and ultimately the bay itself. And along with that land use change, we've got different different uses of the watershed. Um, we've got agriculture, we've got big municipalities, we have, um, you know, major roadways and thoroughfares and um, all this has had a really long-standing impact. And now, you know, as, as you probably know, your, your um, listeners will know, the Chesapeake Bay restoration effort has been um, sort of in effect for the past 40 years. And so in, from an environmental timeline, that's a relatively short amount of time to try to um, correct some, some longstanding um, challenges that we've had in terms of the health of the bay. So I think from the, the conservancy's perspective, you know, there, there are a lot of partners working to protect and restore the bay from a number of different angles, um, water quality, fisheries, um, protecting forests and, and wildlife habitat. So from our perspective, we're kind of conservation focused. So I think the challenges that we're really excited about addressing is, um, you know, one, protecting places uh, that, whether they're historical sites or they're amazing natural areas, protecting some really threatened um, special places that can uh, preserve a part of the Bay's history, its culture, uh, of course, it's natural beauty. But then the second challenge that we're really hoping to address is connecting more people to the Chesapeake Bay, especially people that haven't historically had access to the Bay. Um, you know, we've got a big watershed, 18 million people plus, um, and a lot of folks in kind of the, the Bay proper region, um, they don't have easy access to this amazing resource that we have. So that's something that we're really trying to address and of course, we're trying to support other efforts like forest conservation or improving the health of our streams and tributaries, um, along with along with many others. So I, I would say those are kind of the two key challenges that we're focused on. Well, that makes sense, and, I, and it blows my mind. And I hear from like the Chess or the uh, Annapolis Maritime Museum several times mm -hmm. when they bring people out for their educational programs. They right. find some folks that live in Annapolis that have not even seen the bay. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it, it blows my mind. I mean, I'm not on the water myself, but I can walk, you know, 10 minutes and, and, and see the bay uh, mm -hmm. or, or, or a Creek or, or something or other. That's crazy. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned there, Reed, was that you want to really connect these people to the bay. And I didn't, it sort of blew my mind with your 18 million uh, that live in the watershed area, but that's uh, seemingly what's happening over in, um, you know, about 25 miles to our West in Washington, DC is, I mean, they're looking to, uh, well, locally, I know our mayor and our County executive want to have ferries running all over the place, yeah. but uh, the federal government is looking to make the Chesapeake Bay a, uh, a national park. And I'm not probably not using the word correctly, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think, I mean, it's close. So we're, there's a proposal for a Chesapeake National Recreation Area. And this is being led by Senator Chris Van Hollen of Maryland and Congressman John Sarbanes of Maryland's third district. 
um, along with senators and Congress congressionals from Virginia and and some other and congressionals in Maryland. So this is a proposal for a new unit of the national park system uh, to represent the Chesapeake Bay, provide greater access and, um, you know, recreation area. It's, it's a type of a national park. It's not, um, it's a little bit different than the parks that a lot of folks are familiar with like Yosemite or Yellowstone. This is, this is a different concept, but there are other national recreation areas around the country that really provide a good model places like Boston Harbor Islands up in Massachusetts or even Golden Gate National Recreation Area in San Francisco, where you have kind of a collection of sites um, located around a a body of water that are all linked together um, through a really coordinated way. And so that's what we're proposing here. There are lots of amazing uh, historical sites or, um, or parks that already exist in the Bay but they're not really connected thematically. And at a lot of these parks that you go to, they actually don't really do a good job of interpreting the Chesapeake Bay as a resource. So that's, it's a real missed opportunity. Um, and when, when we talk about connecting people to the Chesapeake Bay as a, as a challenge and, and a, a, something we're really focused on, the important thing to note is that when people do have access to the bay or you know to to a special park or place they realize why it's so important why they realize why why it is that we're investing billions of dollars each year in federal and state monies to protect and restore this this amazing national treasure um, so if people don't have access to the bay that that becomes a much more challenging proposition and so this Chesapeake National Recreation Area it's about celebrating the bay as uh, as a national treasure that it is. It's about um, providing more access to the bay through new parks and sites that we can we can establish, but also connecting together, as I mentioned, those existing sites. So you have a really connected, coordinated, national park worthy visitor experience, and I think um, that's going to. Uh, that's going to help us realize a lot of benefits, whether, you know, not just from an environmental standpoint, but also from an economic standpoint. Um, the, the Chesapeake Bay is this outdoor recreation. Uh, it, it, it's an outdoor recreation paradise. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic venue, whether you're boating or paddling, um, and it generates lots of dollars. So from a, an economic development and a tourism perspective, if we can have a national recreation area that celebrates the bay provides access that's going to in turn help us to take advantage of this economic opportunity that currently we're not taking advantage of and other other landscapes around the country are so um, we're really excited about this the conservancy is one of the lead organizations behind it but there's lots of lots of partners involved we've got a coalition of more than 150 members uh, from all around the watershed that are really excited about this so uh, we're hopeful that this legislation could get introduced soon and get moving in Congress. Because we know everything just moves so fast in Congress. <laughs> well, we're we're optimistic, of course, and we're ambitious, um, and we're going to do everything we can to get this done. Fantastic. Well, I know that you guys are going to be at the boat show. Do you know exactly where you're going to be on the docks? Oh, that's a great question. I. <laughs> I should know. It's in my emails, but I'll tell you, um, tell you what, let me look that up yeah. real quick. You you are in D17. 
Um, so what I suggest to everybody is to, and this is really exciting about the Chesapeake natural look at my recreation, research, area. recreation yeah. area. I'm going yeah. to, I'm, I'm to screw that up for years. I'm going to call it resource area for some reason, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but Get out to Doc T or Tent D17, and I don't know whether Reed is going to be there in particular, but certainly the Chesapeake Conservancy is going to be there, and learn about the CNRA. Uh, learn about what we can do to help the Bay, because we, it's it's all of our problems. And I think that I love that you know your motto or your, your mission is to conserve, to innovate, to explore, and to protect it. Uh, yeah. There's no, you know, it, it doesn't need to be, it's not a museum. You don't need to put it behind glass. No, just to just to, you know, you want to get out there, you want to paddle in it, you want to swim in it, you want to be able to you know to boat into a sail and motorboat with whatever whatever you're doing with it because it's right. such a great resource that is really so rare. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking what like the Bay of Bengal and probably like San Francisco Bay are probably like the only the only ones that sort of come up. Absolutely, we are such a unique resource, you know, internationally. The the Chesapeake Bay is an amazing resource it's national treasure as i as i mentioned earlier and um yeah i you know I'll, I'll be at the booth uh certainly for a good part of the weekend we're really excited to meet with folks tell them about this chesapeake national recreation area and about the conservancy and we're we're so grateful for the opportunity well and also that those that attending the boat show there is a boaters for the bay party going on saturday night as well there's gonna be entertainment and drinks and all that kind of stuff in uh, the Chesapeake Conservancy will be there as well, along with the mm-hmm. Chesapeake Bay Foundation and the Coastal Conservation Association. Uh, I think you're going to be taking. I think you're going to sit on a panel, taking some taking some hard questions, not the softballs that you're getting here. So that's <laughs> hopefully not too hard, but yeah, we're ready for it. Uh, hey, Reed, thank you guys very much for everything that you do for the Bay, what you continue to do, and what you will continue to do. And I look forward to seeing you in Tent D17. Uh, at the Annapolis Spring Boat Show, which is coming up before we know it. It'll be here on uh, the 28th through the 30th of April. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, John. Okay. And anybody that wants any more information about what the Chesapeake Conservancy does and how to get involved, and I do recommend everybody do that, chesapeakeconservancy.org is where you want to go, and that'll give you all the information. And actually, you click about the About Us, and you can see what Reed looks like. He's standing there in front of the, I think it's the Seven River Bridge behind him in his biopic. (laughs) Yep, that's right. (laughs) Hey, Reed, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. All right. Thank you, John. Well, hopping on the phone with us today is David Sikorsky, who is the executive director of Coastal Conservation Association for Maryland, which has a whole bunch of chapters, I understand. Is that true? That is true. We are a membership-based organization with volunteers throughout our state and actually throughout the country. You guys have been around forever, like close to forever, right? Well, so every state has a slightly different story. Um, we were founded in Houston, Texas, or the, the Gulf Coast uh, in 1977 uh, by a group of Texans that worked hard all week and would go to the coast to go fishing, enjoy you know coastal lifestyle, and became upset with the way that our fishery resources were being managed. And so they got organized and got involved and said, you know, we demand better for our resource. And that thing that that concept has been repeated uh, through multiple states, and we have chapters now from Maryland through Texas, the full West Coast, um, members in in many states that that may not have terribly active chapters, uh, and we even have an inland chapter in Nashville, Tennessee. So, and I say we because we're all one nonprofit. Um, we operate it under one EIN in the eyes of the IRS, and uh, but each state chapter 
has a bit of autonomy and relies on folks to get involved and kind of do the same thing that the first folks in Texas did. And in 1995, that happened in Maryland. And so since then, the Maryland chapter has been focused on a lot of different things. Um, of course, straight bass are extremely important. And um, where those fish swim out in that water is their habitat in the bottom, the oysters, the grass beds, all that stuff. So we uh, we try and make things about the resource, no matter where we are in the nation, and um, and try and be consistent with the approach, putting the resource first and recognizing that it belongs to all of us, the public, and recreational angling is just, of course, our, our favorite way to go and access that resource. Well, I guess that ties right into your, uh, your three-pronged approach of conserve, promote, and enhance. That's exactly right. Yeah, the <laughs> conserve part, I always... Uh, Often people think of it as the savings account component of maybe your personal finances. And I say, you know, in some cases that is the way it is, but conservation is more like your checking account. You know, you want things to come in and things have to go out. And so fish are born and we're going to use them. They're a resource and we want to take care of them and we want to promote people going out there and enjoying it. And that could mean taking it home for dinner. Uh, with some species, we may be saying, hey, you should probably release that fish carefully. Um, and it all depends on what's happening out there in our environment. There's a lot we can't control, but as anglers, we want to be responsible. And the enhanced part for us is uh, is largely the habitat component of, of CCA, which is something that, that really has just grown in every state chapter a little bit differently. But in the Texas Gulf Coast, um, our Texas chapter is our biggest. It's, you know, where we were founded. And, of course, everything's bigger in Texas. And uh, they, they've been doing a lot of habitat. And they first coined the phrase of habitat today, fish tomorrow. Uh, for the CCA Texas Habitat Program, and it makes sense. These young fish need a need a place to live, whether it be sea grasses or or oyster reefs, and all that system works together. And that's now what we're doing in the Chesapeake Bay. Our um, our habitat program started here in um, in about 2015. Um, it's called the Living Reef Action Campaign. We have that same mantra of habitat today, fish tomorrow. And um, we have a lot of fun educating folks about what's going on going on out there in our waterways and rolling up our sleeves and doing some hard work to try and figure out how to build um, build reefs and, and also shape policy because that's important. And sure. um, so, you know, we're an advocacy organization at heart, but we ask, uh, you know, our members to bring their pro- their priorities, their challenges and their enjoyment of the resource, you know, kind of all together. And we, we figure out what's best for our organization to try and tackle to better the resource for the future. Well, you guys are the reef ball guys, right? Yes, we are. <laughs> and, we are one of many reef ball folks around the country and world. Um, reef balls are a specifically engineered artificial reef unit. Um, they were founded by the Reef Ball Foundation in, I think, 1992. And that's um, some folks down in Georgia and Florida. And I think it's a number like 60 plus countries now have uh, active folks building reef balls, active reefs that are being monitored. And that foundation has just recently actually been uh, benefiting from um, AI or chat GPT or whatever it's called to compile as much information about reef balls being used around the world as possible and then provide them in multiple languages using that technology. And uh, their chairman and founder, um, uh, Todd Barber, is doing some of that work right now. And so a reef ball, they come in various uh, sizes. They're all a similar shape. I explained it as a concrete wiffle ball kind of cut in half. It sits on the bottom of the bay. Um, our, that program started in 2015, as I mentioned, because um, some partners that had reef ball molds or, or equipment to build them 
uh, because we have a, a fiberglass mold and, and some rubber balls that, that are placed into that mold. And then concrete is poured into it. After the concrete dries, you take it apart, you remove the rubber balls, you end up with holes. And so that's where the wiffle ball kind of thing comes in. But I explain it to kids sometimes. It's kind of like where SpongeBob lives. Kind of a little bit of a pineapple <laughs> under the sea. <laughs> so, that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. yeah. It's, it's a great program. And just this spring, um, we've, we've got some folks building around the state. I do quite a bit of it myself. Um, we have, I think, eight Carroll County elementary schools this year, if not 10. And then we're finishing up a two-year stretch of working with every single fifth grader in Calvert County. So approximately 1,250 fifth graders in a program um, that, was, that was funded by, partially funded by the Chesapeake Bay Trust, the license plate. Right, right. So we we bring always bring funds and, and capacity to the table with any partners when we do this stuff too. So it's just a great way to connect with the community, young, old, all over the state. And um, and I'm even I'm excited. We're, we're going to do a, our first um, Baltimore City Public School in a few weeks in Mount Washington, uh, where I live. So we work with pre-K through seniors, um, meaning <laughs> you know elderly folks. Sure. Um, uh, and, and all over the state, we, we try and always say yes when a partnership comes up and a calendar, you know, the calendar allows it. We The program's mobile. Uh, we've worked in 16 different jurisdictions uh, with school systems in, in Maryland and Virginia. And um, we're just really fortunate to, to first have kind of stumbled upon some equipment that was provided to us uh, by, by a group that was no longer using it. Reef balls have been used in school systems quite a bit, and the Chesapeake Bay Foundation is, you know, their partnership without their support and, and initial partnerships on reef balls, we, we never would have gotten the program going. Uh, their longtime fishery scientist, Bill Goldsboro, uh, just prior to his retirement, just jump-started a program with some really energetic volunteers in what's called our Central Region Chapter that's in Westminster, Maryland. Um, and so Westminster, you know, somewhat far from the bay um these folks said you know hey we understand that everything kind of goes downhill here and we want to do our best and we like to go down fishing in the bay and and throughout maryland and we want to make it better and ultimately what the reef ball is doing is providing three-dimensional structure that could be a place for fish to hide for crabs to hide um because they are hollow and the holes allow uh fish to or crabs to go in and out of them Um, they also mimic the hard substrate of oyster shell something in our bay is completely lacking uh which is quite sad because chesapeake or chesapeake means great shellfish bay right well um, that's, i mean i know i know the oyster recovery partnership is doing some good works i've been out on a couple of their absolutely. uh there's their spat spat planting you know, yes. which is uh but i mean there's so much more to do and, yeah i mean uh, unfortunately only an oyster can make an oyster shell and as we remove them from the bay, um, especially you know wild harvest with its its very long history in this in this in our region, um, a lot of times those shells don't make it back. Most of the time they don't. I think before um, when I guess when communities were more local, there was definitely uh, a lot of shell being returned to the bay um, by some watermen, and I've I've heard a lot of good stories about that. You know, folks that would take it off a bar and then put it right back, and that's a, a smart thing. Um, and that's what ORP is trying to do, the Oyster Recovery Partnership with their Shell Recycling Alliance. And it's really important work. And unfortunately, it's just we don't capture all the shell. Uh, I know folks use it in their garden. There's people use it for roads. It's um, in the building of Baltimore. 
some of the old row houses, folks will find it in their basements because it's uh, the calcium carbonate uh, component of it is essentially just like limestone, a component of concrete. And that's actually why reef balls work so well. We're basically tricking nature to think that it's a, a shell pile down there. And um, we're able to place them precisely in a site that has a permit that's been reviewed by a complete alphabet soup of government agencies. <laughs> And it goes back to this this concept that this is a public trust resource. We entrust our government to manage it for all of us. And it's never that easy. Nothing in dealing with government or the public or managing things that are common to all is never easy. But, um, you know, the reef ball piece is a big part of it. And, uh, you know, we're, we're honored. All our members that, that get involved are really excited about it. And I often say to the folks that come out and volunteer that they're actually building themselves some fish karma and, it quite often plays out that way. I get some great stories from some of our volunteers fishing on our reef ball reefs. And that's that almost selfish benefit, um, but actually selfless because the public can fish them too. True, true, true. Well, I'll tell you, you, talk, you talked about responsible fishing and stuff like that before. And I know I was over at the Bay Bridge Boat Show last weekend, and there was a lot of talk about invasive species and everything else. I mean, even you know to the point of you know how to cook them, how to, you know, everything else there. How, how bad are the invasive species here in the Bay, do you know? There, there, we have some serious challenges ahead of us. I think um, enemy number one right now is the blue catfish. Um, you know, our being so mobile across the world the, these days, I mean, people are taking things with them as they, as they go. And that's been a very common thing throughout history. But um, now it, it just seems to be more and more of a challenge. And there's a lot of non-native species. Um, and, uh, non-native and, and invasive are, are somewhat different. Invasive is an actual designation from the federal government, the state that also endorses that that designation. It means it just has, it, it provides undue harm on, on the ecosystem, on our native species. Um, but there are a lot of non-native species in the Bay. And the newest one uh, that's really causing challenges for Maryland, as I said, is the blue catfish. Uh, they were first released in the 1970s in Virginia. Um, I, I was actually talking with with a volunteer and one of our speakers, um, Stephen Camboris, who's a really well-read and knowledgeable angler. He was talking about snakeheads. Um, snakehead, northern snakehead are another uh, invasive species, um, yet by Stephen's um, assessment, less invasive than the blue catfish. And it kind of relates to um, their habitat ranges, their their tendencies, their diets, their size, so on and so forth. But the uh, the Virginia folks released these fish into Virginia waterways in a time when really right around when the Clean Water Act um, was first initiated, where, where the you know the nation decided, hey, we're going to focus more strongly on cleaning up our waterways. We had these degraded waterways where our native species weren't in high abundance. And so for recreational angling opportunities, the, the Virginia folks released these fish that, that are native to the U.S., just not our watershed. And it's taken quite some time for them to spread, uh, really first to the Potomac. And then most would say that between 2018 and 2019, the record period of freshwater, uh, that really led to um, that really led to the spread of them across the bay. Okay. Uh, the idea, you know, and the idea being that they can't handle salinity. And, and that was actually the concept or the, the idea that, that the Virginians were thinking if we place them in the James River and maybe a few others, they can't get past the salt line once, you know, so maybe they're just going to be here, provide opportunity and that's it. Well, time has proved them wrong. Um, and the, at the Bay Bridge Boat Show, we were just showcasing the opportunities and the threats uh, that exist. And um, 
with these fish and, you know, opportunities for feeding yourself and for commercial value. Um, 3.7 million or so pounds were caught in Maryland waters, including the Potomac River last year commercially. Wow. So that's, yeah, a, hu- that's it, a huge number. It really is. And to compare that to like straight bass, right? Our state fish, a marquee commercial fishery, recreational fishery, um, the straight bass quota in Maryland, not including the Potomac, is 1.44 million. I think the Potomac's around 600,000, but don't quote me on that exactly. Um, so just, but as a comparison, and uh, you know, another difference in these fish is um, the blue catfish can can handle low oxygen situations, something that the striped bass are, are challenged by um, more and more these days. Um, hot water is impacting the striped bass. You know, they have a, a set temperature range that they prefer. These catfish are really resilient. Um, they're actually related to an eel, and um, anyone that has ever handled an eel for bait or or, you know, I guess for bait would be probably the most common thing for anglers. Um, they're tough. They last a while out of water. Um, they're slippery. They're slimy. Uh, the catfish and snakeheads both actually um, have an ability to, to gulp air and use this kind of modified ability to breathe, not just through their gills like like a straight bass or a perch or, you know, most of our native species. So as, you know, portions of the bay are, are of course, degraded and, and not like what we want from a water quality perspective, um, so these blue cats seem to be uh, thriving or at least spreading into just about any area where some of our native species are limited. So their challenge, we were talking about it a lot. Um, we even provided uh, samples of them. Uh, we've been at CCA, been working with a lot of folks in in across anything related to fish, um, feeding people, governance, you name it, uh, commercial fishing, trying to build these broad partnerships to tackle these challenges. Um one big challenge we have is that blue catfish is the only fish which requires USDA inspection while it's being processed. And that just creates a, a, a capacity and financial burden on our processing networks. It's really unnecessary. It's not a food safety thing. Um, it was largely born out of politics and trying to defend domestic catfish farms from competitors, not just domestic, like wild caught blue catfish, but also Asian imports and, and such. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, I tell you, it, it's, it impresses the heck out of me. And it's no wonder that the boat shows are, you know, looking to celebrate you guys, uh, you know, between CCA as well as Chesapeake Conservancy and the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Um, you know, you've all got different angles, but you're all working to a common goal of a, a natural resource that's, that's here for all of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there's so much work to be done, of course. And, and those two other groups you mentioned are of course, giants and champions of, of so much important work, especially on the land side too, whether it be conserving land, like the Chesapeake Conservancy does so much of, or teaching interpretive trails and information for folks, um, kind of elevating different voices around the Bay and then Chesapeake Bay foundation with, you know, such an amazing history of work in the ag community and, and, and in fisheries and in oysters and restoration. I mean, their oyster restoration vessel, the Patricia Campbell has placed many CCA built reef balls. We've built them in partnership. Um, and, and yeah, as you mentioned earlier, also ORP, I mean, putting out, collecting shell, putting out shell, it's all important stuff. And, and, you know, we've got to work together. True, true, true. Well, I do hear that you are going to be grilled on a panel on Saturday night at the 
voters for the Bay Party. And for those that are listening, again, if you are at the boat show, if you've got a ticket to the boat show, you've got a ticket to this party. Um, are you ready to get grilled? Absolutely. Always ready. Un- un- unlike that blue catfish that, you know, they're not going <laughs> to. <laughs> so believe it or not, we actually served. Um, we, we had a gentleman who's a CCA member um, and a just amazing, uh, just expert on seafood. Um, he's the president and founder of a group called the Ika Jime Federation. That's I-K-E-J-I-M-E, which is a ages old Japanese practice of how they process seafood uh, to really just punch above their weight class in the seafood world globally and for being a a relatively small nation. Um, And so he was actually showcasing different ways you can humanely end the life of the fish, maximize its meat quality, and then served some that had been aged fresh in a, you know, in refrigerator, a chilled environment for just about a week. He was serving it as a crudo, which is just fresh, raw, a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of sea salt, and a little bit of citrus. And really amazing folks in the crowd. And um, we also had folks from the, the Chesapeake Culinary Center uh, cooking them up in some more classic ways, like a fish cake, similar to a crab cake, uh, some tacos, some blackened uh, catfish. And so, you know, we, we can eat our way out of this problem. And I'm, I'm here and excited about that. That's part of what drives me as an angler and general outdoorsman and, and home chef. So anybody come with some questions about that for sure. There you go. Well, if we want to learn more about CCAMD. It's CCAMD. Ooh, I said that too fast. CCAMD.org, right? Yes, sir. And definitely check out the Living Reef Action Campaign. And um, you know, there's a lot more information coming about invasive species. We have a, a really cool event that we were highlighting called the Great Chesapeake Invasives Count. Um, this is a program that's completely free. It's a citizen science effort. So anyone out there listening, uh, grab your smartphone or anything that can take a picture. And we have an app called iAngler Tournament. You take a picture, you submit the length and possibly the stomach content data of these fish. We provide it to our federal and state partners at Fish and Wildlife Service and Maryland DNR and show them that, you know, we can help answer these questions about what they, where they are, what they're eating, and, and much more about these invasive species. And this event started April 1st and runs through October 31st. It's largely virtual, or you're out on your own doing your thing and support, you know, uh, reporting the catch back to us. We have a number of different anchor events throughout the year that folks can hear more about if they sign up for our newsletter. And uh, we wouldn't be able to do all that without Yamaha Rightwaters. And so, you know, the hand and glove relationship that fishing and boating has is as strong as ever. All of our industries uh, have excise taxes on the products we produce or, or purchase that give back to conservation. That's a unique thing to our nation. It's a unique thing to our industry, giving back to to the conservation and management of our natural resources. And I think most folks don't realize that. So when you see that ex- more expensive boating fuel in the water, know that, that extra those extra dollars are actually going back to your bay. When that's awesome. Yeah, you purchase fishing tackle, it's going back to the bay. You purchase a boat. So That's great. Well, I'll tell you, you know, I mean, there are plenty of ways to help out with CCA. I mean, you can obviously join. You can donate. You're a nonprofit. You can volunteer sponsor you can even shop on your online you got you got swag on your on your website i think don't you <laughs> we do and we are a small shop because we are very efficient uh you know financially and we i'm the only full-time employee in the state but we've got some amazing volunteers we have another store over at tiedoutfitters.com which has been built in partnership with a small uh local business that came from one of our members and um there's lots of ways to get involved and ultimately we tell people all the time um Show a little tenacity, step up, join, reach out to me and, and some of our volunteers and say, hey, I want to get involved. 
Uh, if you're going to sit back and say, hey, let me know if you need help. Well, I don't have the time in the day to let you know I need help. I need help, folks. So let's get out there and work together because together we can make good things happen. Well, there you go. Make David Sikorsky smile. Go to CCAMD.org and find out how to get involved. Otherwise, you want to see him at Saturday night's Boaters for the Bay Party at the Annapolis Spring Sailboat Show, which is coming up on April 28th through the 30th. David, thank you so much for your time this afternoon, and I look forward to seeing you in a couple days. Absolutely. You're welcome, and I look forward to seeing you as well. The Chesapeake Bay Foundation does incredible work, and today we are speaking with Allison Colden, who is the Maryland Executive Director for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thanks so much for having me. Well, okay, I've got... You know, you are a large organization because the Chesapeake Bay is large, and I'm constantly amazed as I travel around, I guess, the mid-Atlantic, even into the deep south a little bit, where the how the watershed reaches so far. Um, what is the Maryland Executive Director for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation do? What's your role there? My role as the Maryland Executive Director is to really set the vision for CBS in Maryland. We work in a number of different spaces, but particularly in environmental education, advocacy, litigation, and on-the-ground restoration. We have different offices throughout the watershed, including Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. So I do have counterparts in Virginia and Pennsylvania also working to steer the boat in that direction in those states. So we work across all three states, and in Maryland, I'm responsible for setting the strategies, setting the goals for improving the Bay, cleaning up the Bay, and working with our Maryland administration, General Assembly, our members, and others to get that important work done. Well, I'll tell you, you know, we all have a different point of view and different thoughts and of the other folks that I've spoken with, but from where you sit at your desk, what is the biggest threat that you see to the Chesapeake Bay at this point? Or is there one? Is it a myriad? Absolutely. And this is a question that we get all of the time. Where, how is the Bay doing and where are we going from here? The good news is, is that since the Chesapeake Bay Foundation started our work more than 50 years ago now, the Bay has become a tremendous way from where we were in, especially in the 80s when this Bay restoration really kicked off in earnest. And there are some continuing threats and even more day-to-day, climate change is one that is top of mind. Everything that we've done and the progress that we have made so far will only be made more difficult uh, by climate change now and in the future. So if you want to talk about things that keep me up at night with respect to achieving our goals for Bay Cleanup, climate change is definitely up there near the top. So it's up there with everybody. I know that the city of Annapolis is doing what they can do to raise city dock to, you know, address some of the threats that are coming from that. And it's, uh, you know, when you see something like that, you realize that it is real. It's just not a, a, a concept of a bunch of tree huggers that have made up. It's there, it's happening, and um, it's affecting us. Absolutely. And of course, sea level rise is just one of the many impacts that we have seen, will see, and expect to see related to climate change. But when you look across the whole United States, I think it's incredibly telling that two of the cities with the highest rates of relative sea level rise are right here in the Bay Watershed between Norfolk, Virginia and Annapolis, Maryland. So we are really, you know, only behind New Orleans, really, in terms of being ground zero for for sea level rise. And so I think 
if anything, we are going to have to be innovating and being on the cutting edge of things because we are going to be the ones experiencing things first that others around the, the nation will be struggling with in the decades to come. So unfortunately or fortunately, um, we are the guinea pigs in some of these situations. Well, and it is absolutely critical that we keep the bay healthy and because we all love the bay in any number of different ways, we can sail on it, we can power boat on it, we can swim in it, we can fish in it, we can do all sorts of things with the bay. I guess as responsible boaters and users of the bay, whether I'm stand-up paddleboarding or kayaking or swimming or whatever it may be, what do we do? What is the best thing that we can do to help the bay as an individual? Absolutely. And sometimes what we find is people who enjoy outdoor recreation, recreational angling, fishing, crabbing, those folks are some of the best conservationists and stewards of the bay because they have such a close personal connection. Everyone wants their backyard and the the waterways in their cities to be swimmable, fishable, livable, thriving ecosystems. And that's why it's so incredibly important that we protect the bay's water quality, we improve the habitats, and we ensure that the critters that are living in the Chesapeake Bay are able to do so not only survive, but also thrive. There are a ton of things that people can do, boaters in particular. Uh, If you don't already keep your boat at an area that's a certified clean marina, we encourage you to um, push your marinas and push your local community organizations to obtain that clean marina status. Make sure that you have everything on board your boat to deal with any emergencies or accidents that may happen with respect to uh, fuel spills or oil spills. When it comes to sustainable fisheries and recreational angling, make sure you're practicing careful catch techniques if you're not going to harvest those fish. Make sure you know how to return them to the water properly to maximize the probability that those fish are going to survive their interaction with you. There are so many different things that folks can do at home as well when it comes to reducing the size of your turf lawn, reducing your fertilizer use, making sure you're composting and reducing the amount of plastic waste that you produce in your own home. Every single person here has an opportunity to help save the bay. Such big change can be affected by such little steps that you take. Yes, with 18 million people living in the Chesapeake Bay watershed, and that's a number that continues to grow year over year, you know, it could be death by a thousand cuts, or if we all take personal responsibility and do what we're able to in our own communities, backyards, and even within our own homes, maybe we can also take it in the other direction and make it restoration by a thousand positive actions. So everybody has one little thing that they can do today to help the Bay in addition to also lending their voice to some of the larger, bigger, hairier problems that we all here at Chesapeake Bay Foundation work on on a daily basis as well. I love that thought. You know, and another thing that I do love is when I've gone out on like the Annapolis Maritime Museum's Wilma Lee and Woodwind, and I love that the commercial boaters, I'm going to say for lack of a word, you know, the tour boats and, and whatnot, they will totally stop their tour to pick trash out of the bay. And that's something simple that if you're out there on the water and you see trash, pick it up, bring it out there. Cause there's so much, I mean, you've got the harming the wildlife and everything else, but I do love it that, you know, the woodwind, I mean, she will totally go off course to, to pick up a, a bag that's floating in the bay. And I think that's such an important point. You know, through our conversation so far, I've really been emphasizing the importance of clean water for, for people, for recreation, 
and for uh, for the Bay itself and the Bay ecosystem. But there is a third leg to that stool, which you're touching on now, John, which is the economy. Could you imagine uh, if we did not have the Chesapeake Bay and the contributions that it brings to our regional economy as well? So um, I commend them, but also I am not surprised to hear about um, our local uh, charter boat companies and others who um, utilize the water in a way to improve or engage in economic activity helping to steward and maintain that because their livelihoods depend upon a beautiful bay and a beautiful spa creek in that in that example to bring people out on. And when you're out on the bay for a day, you don't want to see a trash bag floating. Um, and you don't want to see animals wrapped up in, in soda pop rings and things like that. And so it's incredibly important that uh, for our economy as well as the environment that we are working to clean up the waterways and, and make sure that everybody has an opportunity to enjoy them in as pristine a state as we can make it. Well, the work that you are doing at the Chesapeake Bay Foundation is remarkable and over 50 years, and you are a the largest player in this whole, uh, you know, working with the Bay for sure. I think it's wonderful that the boat shows are basically lauding you as well as the other groups tonight. And you know, really just saying thank you for the advocacy and thank you for the work that you're doing to enable this great resource that we have for any number of different reasons to thrive or to do better than it has been doing. <laughs> well, it, as always, it's incredibly um, humbling to be included in a group and, and to be put forward as a foremost leader in Chesapeake Bay restoration. But we always like to remember and acknowledge that it really takes a village. CBF has an incredible and, and innumerable number of partner organizations, watershed groups, community groups, friends of groups who we work with, not to mention our incredible members and donors who support our work every single day through advocacy, through through their generosity. And, and that's really how we are able to get the work done that we do. And so we could not do it without them, as well as the incredible partners who will be joining us at the boat show as well. Well, I know that on Saturday night, they're having a Boaters for the Bay reception. And you, I understand, are going to be sitting on a panel and being grilled. You ready for it? My favorite activity. Can't wait. That gets underway at about 4.30 on Saturday. And if you have a ticket to the boat show, you've got a ticket to this reception. It'll be wonderful to sit there and to listen to Allison, uh, the Maryland Executive Director for the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, David Sikorsky, who's the Executive Director for the Coastal Conservation Association of Maryland, as well as um, Reed Perry, who's the Director of Government Relations for the Chesapeake Conservancy. Take the questions and find out you know, where we stand and what all we can do. And I understand that the boat show is going to be presenting a, uh, a little bit of change to you guys too, which is kind of always good. And I know money can be well used. And if anybody does want to donate, cbf.org is great. Plenty of ways to get involved with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. You can go to cbf.org. And I mean, obviously the easy way is you can donate, but you can volunteer and you can just, you know, advocate. I mean, you know, talk to your senators, talk to your congressmen, talk to your delegates, talk to your state senators, talk to your county executives and mayors and alder people and everything else and let them know how important the Bay is to you. And I, th I think that's probably one of the key things that we need to do is just to make sure and keep hounding that it is such an important asset that we all share and love. You hit the nail on the head, John. It sounds like you're coming for my job. That's next year. 
<laughs> that's 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 next year <laughs> but well i'll tell you what i will i will let you go allison and i do before we go i do want to put a plug in for bands in the sand which is a huge fundraiser for the chesapeake bay foundation tickets are going to be going on sale may 1st for the event and the event is june 10th you're going to have misspent youth who is sort of a routine band that plays there and they're absolutely fabulous along with job works and the last rebel it's going to be headlining that and it's going to be a fun night if anybody uh has never been to the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. This is a great opportunity to see the facility right down there in the Bay Ridge community, but right on the bay. You've got a wonderful building, a wonderful environmental building, and the party is off the hook. So I do the encourage best party on the beach you'll find. So I encourage everybody <laughs> to come out and join us at Bands in the Sand. It's a wonderful event and a great time to be had. Absolutely. Well, I do look forward to seeing you at the boat show, which comes in on the 28th and it rolls through the 30th of April. And I do look forward to seeing you also at Bands in the Sand on June 10th. But Allison, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. Well, this is a returning and favorite guest of ours, Mary Ewinson, who is one of the owners of the Annapolis Boat Shows. And I guess your formal name is the U.S. Boat Shows, something or other like that, right? Yeah, well, we, yeah. <laughs> it's easier to say that we have four boat shows, the Annapolis Sailboat Show, the Annapolis Power Boat Show, the Annapolis Springs Sailboat Show, and the Bay Bridge Boat Show. Easier to just talk about the shows than the corporate name. It it absolutely is. And you're still smiling because you're just coming off of the Bay Bridge Boat Show, but you're getting ready for the Annapolis Springs Sailboat Show, which rolls into downtown Annapolis at City Dock, April 28th through the 30th. Are you guys all ready for it? Oh, yeah, except for the moving in part. <laughs> and the weather, too. We're, we're still working on the weather. But And you guys should be able to move this boat show in and out in your sleep, I would think, by this time. Well, it's not quite that easy, but um, we've certainly been doing it long enough that we know what we're about. But it's, and, you know, as you know, the water is not a level platform, so there's always something thrown at us. <laughs> True, true, true. Well, is there what? What's new and exciting with the Spring Sailboat Show here in Annapolis this year? Yeah, um, so it's going to be a great show. We're doing a couple of new things. Um, first, on Friday night, we have a couple of vloggers um, uh, channels um, on YouTube. People that share their sailing experiences through video for us all to live through them vicariously and. We have um, MJ Sailing and Ryan and Sophie Sailing are coming and a local video personality, Captain Boomies, who is a professional delivery captain, is going to be interviewing them and then um, in a panel discussion. And then we'll all join together for a happy hour to talk about sailing and sailing away, dropping the lines and sailing off into the sunset. So that'll be Friday evening. And then Saturday evening, um, as you know, we're doing this very cool Boaters for the Bay event. And we're going to be celebrating three nonprofits who are committed to improving the health of the bay and protecting the bay. And without the bay, we don't have any sailing. We don't have any boat shows. So we're really excited to be able to showcase them on Saturday evening. Well, I know. And you're also highlighting uh, the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, which is the biggie. Uh, yep. The uh, CCAMD, which is uh, Coastal, Coastal Conservation, Conservation Association, Association for Maryland. Yep. And then the Chesapeake Conservancy. Yes. Yeah. And there are three um, organizations that are just super active in a lot of different ways. And uh, we're really excited to bring them to the show. 
In fact, last weekend we had CCA at the Bay Bridge Boat Show and they were doing an invasive species focus where they talked about how to harvest invasive species and eat them. So they're, they're a really cool organization. They were, they were talking about the legislatures that just left town? Is that, <laughs> is that, fry them up and cook them? And get, yeah, get, a little it. more blue catfish and uh, snakehead than legislators. But well, yeah. The spring boat shows tend to be, uh, I don't want to say cash and carry, but I mean, they tend to be like, Quick deliveries, correct? Is that still the same thing with as we come through COVID and COVID's in our rearview mirror? Yeah. Well, I mean, as as I'm sure you and your listeners have heard, there were um, big supply issues um, in the last couple of years. Just there were not very many boats in inventory for sale. And the manufacturers have caught up and there are some there are more new and pre-owned boats on the market. The, the spring sailboat show and the Bay Bridge boat show, we actually um, have uh, dealers that sell new boats and also brokers who sell used boats. So um, what's pretty cool is that most of the boats that are being shown at our spring sailboat show, you could make an offer on and um, buy them and take delivery next week and uh, the next week after the show. And have them um, for the summer, as opposed to in the fall, where some of those boats you could take delivery immediately. But a lot of times you're looking at ordering a boat to be delivered in the future. But these are boats that you could use for this coming season. Well, that's that's human nature. I mean, in the fall, you're sort of, if you're a boater, you're sort of putting everything to bed for the year. And you're thinking about, you know, six months, eight months down the line when you're getting back in the spring. And in the spring, you're like, get me on the water. Exactly. Our shows pretty much bookend the season. You know, this is April is kind of the last time you're going to have a boat show because then we're just going to be boating. So we have you know, the power boat that's at Bay Bridge and then the spring um, sailboat show last weekend in April. And then we just roll right into full on boating season. And then in October is when everybody's kind of winding down except for the very hardcore. And uh, so we bookend the season with our shows. Are you hardcore? Uh, yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do sail year round, but uh, I I don't sail if it's cold out. So, <laughs> smart woman, smart woman. Well, I know that you guys have done a great job as far as managing crowds and crowd management over the years. I know you've got fifty plus years over in the fall boat shows. Uh, the best advice I can give to anybody is to buy the tickets in advance. Uh, now that we've got this great thing called the internet that can deliver them to your phone and everything else, it just makes it so much easier to get in. Uh, you don't have to wait in line or anything like that. You just have it right there on your phone. You scan it and off you go. And you do that at AnnapolisBoatShows.com, right? Yeah, and it's actually uh, less expensive if you buy them online. So you can buy your tickets in advance and um, pay less online. And then also our entire schedule, including the seminars and um, information about our first sale workshop and our cruises university, it's all right there on the site. So if you're not sure which day you want to come, you can look and see what the different features are for each day and, and plan your visit before you get here. And this is three days. It's not, it's, I know in the fall, sometimes they go, you know, four days and you've got the VIP day and everything else. But this is just three solid days. This is April 28th, 29th, and 30th? Yep, Friday through Sunday. Awesome. Do you blow the cannon? Do you fire the cannon? We do. We, we, fire, we fire the cannon on Friday morning with the mayor of Annapolis, Gavin Buckley. 
at 10 o'clock and that'll be the opening um, bell, so to speak. That's awesome. And again, you know, the boat show is not just about boats. I mean, it's anything that you can possibly imagine that you would need for your sailboat. I mean, you've got all the gear, you've got clothing, you've got financing, which is huge. You've got, uh, you know, like I say, pre-owned boats, you've got new boats, you know, anything that you could possibly need is going to be at the Annapolis Spring Sailboat Show here in Annapolis. In Yeah, the, um, the Spring Sailboat Show, I mean, it's smaller than the fall show. It's uh, a, a little bit more intimate um, opportunity to spend more time with some of the um, vendors because it's not quite as crowded as the fall show. Um, but it's, yeah, it's got a great selection of, um, I mean, we have insurance, we have financing, we have brokers, we have charter companies, we have sailing schools, we have boat clubs. So, um, it's a great opportunity to kind of explore sailing as well as plan your sailing adventures and your sailing season. Well, and I will also say, cause you do wear several hats here in Annapolis. You also are the publisher of spin sheet magazine and, Speaking of bookending, at the end of the Spring Sailboat Show, Spin Sheet is having their final crew party at the Eastport Yacht Club on Sunday the 30th, right? Yeah, this is one of the really cool things that Spin Sheet does, which is from 4 to 6 on Sunday afternoon, we invite anybody who is interested in sailing, um, sailboat owners and sailboat crew to meet up at Eastport Yacht Club. It's free, open to the public. And it's an opportunity for someone who has a boat but doesn't have people to help sail it with them to meet people who are looking to get out on a boat. I mean, it's it's great fun to go sailing with somebody new. It's a great way to try sailing is to get involved with a new program and meet new friends. It's, sailing is a really cool community. And this event on su- that Sunday afternoon is one of my favorite events of the year. And after the crew party on Sunday, from 6 o'clock on, there is an opening ceremony for the Visit Annapolis and Anne Arundel County Santa Maria Cup. And that is supported by the Maryland Sports Commission. Um, is, that, opening, is, that all, is that all one one word? That's a, that's yeah, a I huge, think it is. That's a I huge long is. name for <laughs> yeah. No punctuation, nothing. In fact, it's just all lowercase, you know, e-coming style. <laughs> dot, dot com. <laughs> But what's what's cool, actually, the opening ceremony is one thing, but really what's what's going to be spectacular is the racing out on um, at the mouth of the Severn River. And this is international match racing. These are the best of the best of the best of women sailors who are coming into Annapolis um, to race for the title of the Santa Maria Cup. And we used to host the Santa Maria Cup years ago. It took a hiatus and it is back. It's going to be a really cool event. So you have the opportunity to get on the water the first couple of days um, of the week following the sailboat show. It's it's going to be great. Well, I'm going to let you go because I'm sure you're moving docks and trying to figure out how to fit all these boats and gear and everything else into this small little space we call City Dock. Mary Ewinson, thank you so much for bringing these events to Annapolis four times a year and Folks, go to the Annapolis Spring Sailboat Show coming in on the 28th. We'll be here through the 30th. You can get your tickets at annapolisboatshows.com. Get them in advance. Get them cheaper. And see what we have to offer. It's awesome. We've got a great town for sailing. And um, Mary and her team brings it year after year after year. But thank you so much. Thank you, John. We'll see you at the show. Well, there you go. Lots of food for thought there for sure. 
To steal a line from the Chesapeake Bay Trust, we all need to treasure the Chesapeake, no matter our role, and these three organizations are absolutely killing it. Well, four organizations. Don't forget about the boat shows. Be sure to get your tickets in advance at annapolisboatshows.com and be sure to catch up with the Chesapeake Conservancy on the docks or the CBF or the CCA Maryland at the Saturday evening party. And don't forget the Annapolis Boat Shows will be back in October for two weekends. The Annapolis Power Boat Show is up first this year from October 5th through the 8th and then the Sailboat Show rolls into town from October 12th through the 15th. Once again, discounted tickets and more information at annapolisboatshows.com. And I'll see you on the docks April 28th through the 30th. This has been a bonus podcast from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionannapolis.net. Follow us on Facebook at All Annapolis and on Twitter at Ion Annapolis. And if you haven't subscribed to the Daily News Brief podcast, go for it. And all of your local news will be delivered to your phone, tablet, or smart device by 6 a.m. every Monday through Friday.